So we've got a short little video here. Uh, let's say short. It's not short. This is going to break your heart, though. So let's watch this video real quick, and then we'll get into the sermon. My name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening, I was out with my daughter, and on our way home, we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. My husband and I were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together every day. children were old enough, we're ready to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 14. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. who were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left. Genesis and Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wild flower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is a husband to all widows. I look to him for every need. This is what I am still holding on to. God is a powerful, powerful thing. So powerful that persecutors are afraid of God's word. If you have your Bible with you, I want you to open up to John chapter 15 and verse 18. And we'll get there here in just a minute. But this Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Christian. As always, I like to remind the church of this day every year and how we can pray for them. But as the day of the Lord draws closer, it becomes more likely that those who believe and testify of Jesus Christ, no matter where they live, will face more and more persecution. A distinction that often has been made in persecution circles like the Christian persecution circle that we're going to be talking about tonight is the difference between smash persecution and that of squeeze persecution. Smash persecution is the kind of persecution that we just seen on this video here that's become the most familiar with us. It's the type of persecution that we see the most, that the voice of the martyrs are involved with and come from them, and that's where this video came from tonight. And it's like the persecution that Aniru spoke about not too long ago here on a Wednesday night and told us about Natish, the young man that had acid poured on him because he'd been sharing the gospel in his village. Smash persecution is when an angry mob attacks a village and attacks its pastor, beating him within an inch of his life. Or just like the 
like the video, the Bukharam, that rolls into these African villages and they start to mow down people with their AK-47s and the Muslim extremists that come and they burn the churches and the homes and the businesses of the local Christians. Squeeze persecution, on the other hand, is when the persecutors use less violent means to accomplish their goals, such as litigation and social pressures, social credit scores and threats and and manipulations, loss of income and loss of ability to provide for one's family. And the intention of squeeze persecution with these intentions is, is the Christians to get back into the conformity with the persecutor's desires. Doesn't that sound like persecution that could be kind of familiar around here today? Some that's going to probably start affecting lives in America. And there are very, there are very many uh, variations of squeeze persecution. Many are which are referred to as smart persecution. Keep that in mind. Smart persecution. This persecution is smart because it doesn't really resort to physical violence to accomplish its goals which might draw undue attention to itself. Smashing things and smashing people might be a powerful way to create temporary conformity, but it's a poor way to win people's hearts over. As we see in Islam, where followers start to find that the violence, they find it repulsive, and they want to turn away from it, and they lose respect even for their own religion. Think of ISIS in the Middle East. Islam shows its true colors in many of its inherent Parents become disillusioned, and these uh, persecutors who use, who use smash persecution are able to use leverage, immense pressure on their subjects with this squeeze persecution or this smart persecution, but they also create immense pressure on themselves by uh, unwanted attention if they're using these severe tactics, and that draws attention from outside governments like the UN and, and some religious and human rights organization. Think of this in terms of, like, domestic abuse. A husband who beats his wife or abuses his wife physically will find himself in jail. But if a husband were to abuse his wife emotionally, his ability to control his wife would likely be more successful and the evidence of abuse almost impossible to prove. This might be termed smart abuse. So smart persecution becomes a way to put incredible pressure on Christians while enabling the persecutor to remain respectable in the eyes of the watching world. That's what smart persecution is. You might not even see that it's even going on, which makes it a particularly heinous kind of persecution. Christians endure smart persecution, feel especially alone and voiceless because people are unwilling to call out their persecutors or the persecution or to even believe or admit that it's even happening. If you know the history of the Voice of the Martyrs, their mission was to to exactly address this type of persecution. Obviously, communist persecution can and does uh, devolve into smash persecution, but it usually starts out as smart persecution. And if you know who Richard Warren Brands is, he's the one that started the Voice of the Martyr. Uh, they, he had difficult convincing the Western governments, the churches, and the evangelical leaders of the seriousness or the, even the existence of communist persecution because it was carried out as smart persecution. And to add to this, Persecution is, is most likely to come to 
to America. This is the kind of persecution that is already, I believe, in some ways, in America. We've already seen glimpses of it today. So to draw your attention to the Christians suffering smart persecution, Sean Pennington, a former Voice of the Martyrs leader to Africa, has offered us six ways that we can pray for them. And I believe for America, we need to be praying now, which is, is sure to experience more and more of this type of persecution. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles open that, we're going to read verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So keep these verses in mind as we walk through these six ways to pray for Christians suffering smart persecution. The first slide that we got tonight is pray Christians suffering smart persecution won't succumb to lies. The central tactic of smart persecution is lying. They lie about who they are, they lie about what they are doing, and they lie about the people they are persecuting. As Alexander Solonitsky says about this communism in Russia, this next slide will show we know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know we know they are lying, and we know that they know we know they are lying. And still, they continue to lie. We are told this in John chapter 8, verses 44, that Satan is the father of all lies. For whatever Satan speaks is a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he and the father of lies. And so it's not surprising that lying would be a prominent feature of smart persecution because ultimately it is Satan and the demonic forces who are behind it all, are they not? Now that is something to really think about, isn't it? That's really something to think about. This next slide, Theodore, um, I I really don't know this guy's name, Um, Del Rimple, I I, I think that's how you say it. Theodore Del Rimple, or Del Rimpley, has a very astute take on the effects of lying as a means of controlling in smart persecution. He says right here, In my studies of the communist society, I come to the conclusion that the purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, not to inform, but to humiliate, and therefore the less it responded to reality is better. When people are forced to remain silent, when they are being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they are forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose once and for all their sense of forbidding. To assess, to assent to, to obvious lies is in some small way to become evil oneself. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded. 
and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easily controlled. I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect and is intended to do. Does that sound familiar? That sound like some things that might be going on in our society today? Isn't that incredible insight? Lying erodes one's ability to resist anything and creates a society of emasculated liars, which is easy to control. If they can't get you to say that two plus two is five or that the grass is really blue or any other lie that you know to be false, they can control you. If they can get you to do those simple things, and have you not seen some of this? Two plus two is five. It's not four. What, you know? It's an obvious lie, but yet we still see it. Or, or, you know, the grass is blue and the sky is green. So why is it so hard for Christians to stand against the lies of smart persecution? Again, Solinsky gives insight. Someone will have to temporarily lose his job. For the young who seeks to live by truth, this will at first severely complicate life. For their tests or their quizzes, too, are suffered with lies. And so choices will have to be made. But there is no loophole left for anyone who seeks to be honest. That's sad. Not even for a day, not even for the safest technical occupations can he avoid even a single one of his listed choices. To be made in favor of either truth or lies, in favor of spiritual independence or spiritual severity, and as for him who lacks the courage to defend even his own soul, let him not brag of his progressive views, boast of his statutes as an academician or a recognized artist, a distinguished citizen or general. Let him say to himself plainly, I am cattle, I am a coward, I seek only warmth, and I will eat my fill. So what does that mean? In short, there is no neutrality. And living not by lies is costly. You understand that? Living not by lies is costly. It's easier to go along with the herd, guys. It's easier to be a coward. It's, it's easier to eat one's fill, and it's easier to go against the grain. So, brothers and sisters, we must pray fervently that Christians suffering smart persecution will not succumb to lies. It's too easy to go with the grain. The next is this. Second thing is pray Christians suffering smart persecution won't succumb to fear. As we just mentioned, it's hard to go against the grain. It's costly not to follow the herd. Some of you may be familiar with uh, August Landmesser. He is the subject of a now famous photo from 1936. And in this photo, Landmesser can be seen. And if you'll go ahead and put that photo on, that'll be fine. You can see in this photo here, he's the only one that refuses to do the Nazi salute while the sea of other enthusiastically comply. Everyone there is, given, is giving hell to, Caesar, or hell to uh, Hitler. I was trying to think. I was wanting to call him Caesar. He was a Caesar of sorts, wasn't he? Not? But they, wanted, they, were, they were giving him this, this salute, and, and Landmaster opposed he refused. He went against the grain. He was not following the herd. 
And one reason Landmaster was opposed to the Nazi party was he was engaged to Irma Eckler, and she was a Jewish lady. But both Landmaster and Eckler would serve time in concentration camps. Irma would be killed in a concentration camp, while Landmaster would later be released and forced to enlist in the German army, and he was killed in action. The interesting thing about the photos like these is that we all think we would be August Landmaster. We would be the ones who would be refusing to go along with the crowd in arms crossed defiant when most of us would actually take the path of least resistance and blindly follow the herd. Blindly follow the herd. Moreover, we would actually justify our conformity as virtue. We would justify our conformity as virtue. As, as Robert Anton Wilson reminds us, the obedience, the obedience always think of themselves as virtuous rather than cowardly. The obedience always think of themselves as virtuous rather than cowardly. Whether it's the Nazis or the communists of the past uh, faced by Richard and Sabina uh, Warmbrand or more modern-day persecutors, we need Christians with a courageous spirit like the Wormbrands, who will not succumb to fear. They've done everything they could. They've created this voice of the martyrs to be a voice that is heard about the persecuted church and persecuted Christians. They did not succumb to fear. But heed the words of the prophet Isaiah, as he says in, in Isaiah 33 or 35, verse 4, Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with repent, recompense of God. He will come and save you. So let us pray earnestly that Christians undergoing smart persecution won't be succumb to fear. The third thing that we can pray Christians suffering smart persecution is they won't succumb to guilt. Another tactic of smart persecution is to control Christians through guilt. Christians are periodically susceptible to uh, manipulation by guilt. We know uh, as that we are sinners, and we know we are guilty. Do we not? We don't want to break the rules or be out of compliance or be in conflict. And Anne Rand another student of communist tactics, helps us understand how this more uh, persecutor accomplished control through guilt in her novel, Atlas Shrugged. She writes this right here, there is no way to rule innocent man. The only power any government has is the power to crack down on criminals. Well, when there aren't enough criminals, one makes them. One declares so many things to be a crime that it becomes impossible for man to live without breaking laws. Who wants a nation of law-abiding citizens? What's there in that for anyone? But just pass the kind of laws that can either be observed or enforced or objectively interpreted, and you create a nation of lawbreakers. And then you cash in on guilt. In smart persecution system, everyone is a lawbreaker. Get that? In smart persecution systems, everyone is a lawbreaker. They are always out of compliance all the time. They are always guilty. But you only cash in 
you only persecute those who don't blindly follow the dictates of the persecutor. Everyone is always guilty, but the ones who are called to account are those who are subjected to the resisting the system or holding unapproved opinions. It's, it's always interesting that in these persecution systems, it's often important for the persecutors to establish the guilt of the persecuted. It's always important for the persecutor to establish the guilt of the persecuted in some kind of kangaroo court, some kind of monkey court. They go on trial and determine if they are guilty, but the outcome of the trial is already determined before the questions have ever began. They've already, they're already determined guilty. They're already going to persecute them. Further, Christians in the system of, of, of guilt and control actually start to police one another. They will turn each other into the authorities. Well, he did break the law after all, and if I am caught not turning someone in, then I've broken a rule. Just making them feel more guilty. Then I am a rule breaker, and bad things will happen to me. Never mind the rules are absurd and have no basis in God's law. Never mind that the rules are absurd and have no basis in God's law. When I was, when I was studying criminal justice, when I was in law enforcement, you, surprise or not, all of the laws of the, the Bible were what we studied. That's where we got our laws from. That's where law was created. It was given by God. It was God who intended the laws to be kept. But rules are rules, and Christians tend to like rules. And so people will start uh, to disassociate themselves with those who are under suspicion by, persecution, by persecuting authorities. In fact, you can read the accounts of Christians who, who knew they were under suspicion and about to be arrested by the KGB or, or any other place by the fact that their friends started avoiding them and disassociating themselves. Weaponized guilt including guilt by association, becomes a very powerful means of controlling Christian populations, especially in these foreign countries that we go and we visit. But for the Christians, the scriptures are clear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1, as Christians, we always have a higher rule. We have a higher law, which is the law of Christ. So let us pray that suffering Christians, suffering smart persecution, will not succumb to guilt through manipulative tactics of their persecutors. The fourth way we can pray for suffering Christians, a smart persecution is we will continue to proclaim the truth. Pray that they will continue to proclaim the truth. And that's, that's our job, is it not? To proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. And smart persecution system, as the lies become more pervasive and more universal, the act of telling the truth becomes more revolutionary. It means against the system. It becomes more offensive. It becomes more costly. As Orwell foresaw, during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. If those who are lying hate the truth, then any truth Christians speak is going to be offensive. Let me say that again. This is very important. If those who are lying hate 
the truth than any Christian speaking the truth is going to be offensive. It's going to sound hateful. As Todd Wagner has so memorably said, truth sounds like hate if you hate the truth. Truth sounds like hate if you hate the truth. Hence, now we have all these modern blasphemy laws known as hate speech. But Jesus says this of himself, You say rightly that I am king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This is when Jesus was standing in front of Pilate. And Pilate said, what is the truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. That's what he's really saying. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus came into this world to testify the truth, and we must testify of the truth as well. And, and this, uh, the encouraging thing is everyone who is of the truth, all of the cohorts of the truth, will hear his voice and will respond to the truth in obedience. Everyone that is of the truth hears his voice. And they will respond to the truth in obedience. But we as Christians must be faithful to speak up and to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. So let us pray for Christians suffering smart persecution will continue to faithfully proclaim the truth. The fifth is this here. Pray Christians suffering smart persecutions will be shrewd. As Christians, we most often pray for boldness. And sometimes raw boldness is the right thing. But when you're dealing with wicked men who are masters of deception and manipulation, it's often better to have shrewdness, which is a form of boldness, I believe, than just raw boldness. And we heard it tonight. Oh, I heard it tonight over here by Amy. Think about John the Baptist and his interactions with Herod. He plainly and boldly told Herod, it wasn't lawful for Herod to have his brother's wife. This got John arrested and eventually got him beheaded. But he was bold. And there are times that we need to be bold as, evident, as, as evidence of John's testimony. But there are also times that we need to be shrewd. Jesus himself tells us this right here, that he is sending us out in the midst of wolves. So we are to be as shrewd as serpents. And as innocent as does. We remain innocent. We don't stoop to their level by lying or being manipulative or playing mind games. We, but we re, resist in a way that is shrewd. And when, and when Jesus interacted with these wolves of his day, the, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, he was shrewd. And he always talked to them in parables. Jesus even rebuked them in parables. And, and they knew the parables were about them. But they couldn't do anything about it because he'd done it openly and they were afraid of the crowds. Hiding Jews in your basement or holding secret worship service or rebuking the wolves without getting your head chopped off requires shrewdness. That's what Jesus tells us to be, shrewd as serpents, as innocent as doves. So instead of only not only just praying for the boldness of the persecuted Christian, let us pray that the Christians enduring smart persecution would be extremely shrewd as well. 
And the sixth one, and this is the last one, pray Christians suffering smart persecutions will stay unified. Pray that they will stay unified. Smart persecution always divides and conquers. Because of this tactic, uh, previously mentioned lying, uh, manipulation, fear, guilt, guilt by association, Christians and smart persecution systems have been conditioned to fear, uh, to distrust, to be suspicious of everyone. This is in an extremely difficult environment for building Christian unity. These smart persecution tactics are very effective at, at serving uh, serving bonds, severing bonds of love in the most tight-knit communities. A great illustration of this, and I just watched this movie last night, but it's The Hidden Life, and it's by uh, Terrence uh, Malek, and, and in this film, Franz is, an, Aust- is an, Austra- an Austrian farmer who lives with his wife, Fanny, and their children in an extremely tight-knit village in the mountains, uh, mountain countrysides of, of Austria. And, and the village is marked uh, by relationships and bonds that are characterized by this, this rural uh, life that went back for centuries. Um, but the Nazis being, uh, began to, to exert, their, exert their family, the influence in the, into these families, and Franz became a, he became a conscientious, conscientious objector. The, and the community bond began to be ripped apart. He was objecting to what they were doing, and he was he was he was verbal about it. And during this time, Franz is ostracized by his friends, including the mayor of the village, including the bishop of the of the church. Even the relationship with his family and his and his wife started to su- suffer as these social screws started tightening on them. People in the village began to uh, disassociate from them, and actually they ended up disassociating from one another. And the conversations occurred in back alleys in hushed tones, and people kept their heads down, and they refrained from making eye contact. A village once filled with life, laughter, camaraderie, playfulness, mutual help, and collaboration became lifeless, sterile, and cold. And the fear instilled by the Nazis destroyed their unity. But Christians were made to live in community. We serve a a triune God. And he's in community with himself. Right? And there is perfect unity among those three persons of the Godhead. And so despite smart persecution, despite all the attempts uh, to disrupt the unity of the church and the bonds of love among believers, Christians must press into love and stay unified. Paul tells us how in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Let me read those again. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In perfect unity. So when it comes to Christians that are facing these kind of persecutions, we need to be praying for them. They won't succumb to the lies and won't succumb to fear and won't succumb to guilt. And then to continue to proclaim the truth, 
and that they will be shrewd and that they will stay unified in Christ. But let me say it this way. When we, when we start feeling this kind of persecution, that we won't be succumb to lies, that we won't succumb to fear, that we won't succumb to guilt, that we will continue to proclaim the truth and we will be shrewd and we will stay unified in Christ. It is going to be important as the day of the Lord approaches. It's like I said in the very beginning, as the day of the Lord approaches, we must, we must realize that we need to be proclaiming the truth even more boldly. In that story of, of the hidden life, at the end of that, that story, Franz lost his life. It was sad. It was sad. And she was, his wife was sitting there crying and praying to God and trying to understand why. Why this happened. Why God. But all through that movie, every one of those interviewers that interviewed Franz, they said, Franz, just sign this paper. Just sign this paper. Nobody's ever going to know about you. Nobody's ever going to care if you sign this paper or if you didn't sign this paper. It's not going to matter. Nobody's going to know your name. Nobody is even going to care. But here it is. How many years later, millions of people have been watching this movie about Franz and his faith and how he stood on his faith and he would not he would not salute the Nazis. He would not give them any kind of honor. He stood in what he believed in his heart, what God had put in his heart, to stand upon his faith and stand against them. And it cost him his life. And his wife was sitting there praying, surely something good will come of this. And I believe that something good probably is come of it. I'm, it was an, a very impressive movie. It very impressed on my heart how strong his faith was. And it made me realize how weak my faith sometimes is. And how easy it would be for me to go along with the crowd. Go along with the herd. It's so easy to say, yes, I'll go along with you guys. But no, God's calling us to be more than that. God's calling us to stand on our faith in Him. And stand up to tell the truth, proclaim the truth, and always proclaim the truth, to do what is right. To do what is right in God's eyes. Not in our eyes. Not what we think. Often we know what the truth is. Often we don't proclaim it, though. We miss out. On the truth. Tonight I don't have an instrumentalist. I guess Bob could come play me, play some something for us. But uh, tonight, as we as we think about the persecuted Christian and we think about America as as persecution starts to come to America, even, and it's coming, guys, it's coming. Jesus said, Jesus said in our scripture tonight, if you think they hate you, it's because they hated me first. They're going to hate you because of who you love. And if you love Christ here tonight, then you know what you have to do. You have to stand strong. You have to proclaim his faith. And I think that even, even Bryce told me this week that we're going to go to a part of India that we may have to cover our skin up. And we may have to hide our faces to get into these areas. Because if they see somebody that's white 
they're probably going to do something to us or maybe even something to where we're going. It's maybe one of the villages. So think about that. Think about that. This is so we can go and share the gospel message with some, with some preachers and, 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 and help teach them so they can continue to spread the word of God. Persecution is real, guys. And if you're willing to go out and proclaim the truth, you're probably going to face persecution. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But the one thing that you can count on is your faith in Jesus Christ, your salvation that he has given you, the love that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for each and every one of our sins. And if you have that faith, if you've asked him to come into your heart, then there is no amount of persecution that will ever affect the outcome of your life because you're going to live forever. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's one way that you're going to be able to defeat, the per to defeat persecution wherever you meet it, is by having him in your heart, by having Jesus in your heart, by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, by giving your life to him so he can use it for his kingdom work. If that's you tonight, I just, as every head bowed, every eye closed, if you need to come up and ask Jesus to come into your heart, these altars are open for you tonight. If, if this message has affected you and you need, you know that you're not a Christian, you know you, you, that, that the Lord has spoke to you tonight, you feel him tugging on your heartstrings, that you've got to give your life to Christ, now's the time to come. We'll pray with you and show you in Scripture how to give your life to him. But Christians here, you need to be praying these prayers. You need to be praying for persecuted Christians all around the world. And start praying that when the day comes that you have to meet persecution face to face, that you will boldly stand, knowing that you have Jesus in your heart, knowing that your salvation is secure, knowing that your life is not going to end here on this earth in persecution, but it's going to be glorified in heaven one day with a new body, with Jesus Christ in heaven because of what he's done for you on that cross. That's what you need to be thanking him for tonight. These altars are open for prayer if you need to come and pray. If you need one of us to pray with you, just please come. Please come and we'll pray with you tonight. If that's you just needing prayer, just needing some somebody to pray over you tonight, just come make your way forward here. Kneel at one of these altars. We've got, we've got some people that'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. Ladies need to come forward, and Eddie will be up here to pray as well.